We now have on the line uh, Doug Neal, who, as Richard would say, a cult winemaker, Victorian winemaker. Good morning to you, Doug. Morning, guys. How are you? Going all right. Welcome aboard, mate. Thanks, Richard. Are you uh, are you running between vineyards or something more fun? Uh, running between uh, Melbourne and Geelong. Just gone past the UEX. Ah, there you go. So, yeah. you, are you based in, in the Murrable Valley down that way? Uh, we actually live in Highton, right up on the, the hill and out the back of Geelong. And I run between um, Beechworth to do some work with Rick at Geoconda and Macedon, where I'm at Heskett, where I make my wines and Heskett Estate. And then down to the Mornington, where we make Chardonnay with Darren Gaffey at uh, Principia. Hmm. Um, now, you, uh, you used to make a, um, a wine called Paradise 4. Um, we've had a yep. question come in from one of our um, listeners who's got most vintages of the Paradise 4, Dardle Shiraz, between 2008 and 18. Um, yeah. So he's asking, what would be the sweet spot for the 2008 now? Uh, or should he hold it? Would it be now or does he hold out a bit longer? Oh, the 2008, I'd drink that now. Yeah. Okay. Well, it was an interesting vintage. Um, the 2008, very, very big bunches, but really small berries. So probably one of the ones with a bit more tannin structure than some of the other vintages. Uh, I haven't had one for ages, but it's, remember, that's under DM. So, um, yeah, look, it should hold up, but I, I'd be drinking that now. Yeah. Is it something we can have a quick chat about, mate, about Paradise 4? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, yeah. can we can we sort of what what happened? <laughs> why aren't, why aren't the wines being made anymore? Oh, uh, what happened was that um, Ruth and Graham Bonney, who I was partners with in the business, and they owned the property, and they just got to that point where Graham was in his seventies and, and basically he'd had a hip replacement, his knees were going, and he physically was one of those guys that liked to do it all. So I. You know, I could get in the vineyard and do a bit of work with him, but he was a very independent man, and um, he physically decided when seeing a few friends were dying around him that he wanted to go and do what he really loved, which was go and fish and go and uh, go and camp. And <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, they'd been in the public eye for a long time. They'd, they'd yeah. run um, they'd run a big hotel down in Geelong. They used to get all the footy teams staying there. You know, coming right. down to Continuum Park. So they'd run a pool business, they'd run, they'd had Boss Hogs, which was a catering business. I mean, they just, they'd been in the public eye for a long time, and I think they were just worn out, and they wanted to enjoy that sort of later part of their retirement, but not being tied to the vineyard. So when they couldn't sell it, um, they just decided, well, they weren't going to move, so they just pulled it out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's just flabbergasted no one wanted to buy it, you know? Well, when they tried to put it on the market, it was the real estate prices hadn't gone hot at that stage, as they did subsequently by 2021. Yeah. And the end result is that it was, it was a difficult situation because as much as they, it was a partnership, the brand had really started to morph around me as the winemaker. Yeah. So people wanting to buy it um, realised that they'd have to pay over three, three million for it and then they'd have to come to some sort of arrangement which made it, in a way, financially not viable for them. And then for a winemaker coming in to spend and set up on your own, to buy 
like three million back then, and then realised it's only five acres. Yeah. Again, not viable, you know. <laughs> yeah. So it was in that really weird situation where everyone wanted it, but no one could get over the line. Yeah, yeah, oh. wouldn't stack up. Um, hey, we've we've had another couple of questions come in. Um, one of them may not be uh, your bag, but you are a winemaker, and you're um, you know. Cult winemaker as Rich says. Um, so Alison has a, a, has been given a bottle of Pet Nat, and she's wondering, can you explain actually what it is? Uh, Pet Nat? No, not really. I'm, I've not been one of those great things of favour with those sort of styles of wine. Hasn't been but your thing about pushing boundaries and in that way. I push, I push lots of boundaries, but uh, what is it? Petrol Natural or Petulant Natural? It's really basically that you are taking grapes that are fermenting and you get them to a certain point, from my understanding, then you place them in the bottle and they continue that fermentation, which is a primary fermentation, not a secondary, mm. like sparkling wine. So you're basically getting a, a primary fermentation in bottle. Um, you know, there's a few winemakers over the years have done the same thing when they've uh, got malolactic uh, to go through in, uh, in bottle unwittingly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Without, oh. Yeah. Well, and the, I think the funny thing about pet nats is, like, if you if you put it in too early and it hasn't fermented enough, the bottle might explode. But if, yeah, it's, exactly. if it's fermented too much, then you don't have any fizz. I, I think now you've, no. now you've got Alison worried about what she's got to do <laughs> no, with. No, 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 no. If, if, you, if someone's yeah. buying it on the shelf, then it's going to be pretty safe, I reckon. So. Well, so, yeah, I would say most of them now have gone through those experiments, and that's certainly the case, that they've yeah. worked out. But I have, heard, I have heard of people saying that when you buy... Um, you know, pet nat, make sure that you um, uh, stand over it and have your mouth open because the first third of the goes straight up and out. <laughs> right. Okay, so <laughs> well, I don't think we've still told her what to expect when she opens this bottle. Well, a sort of dirty, uh, sparkling, savoury wine, So just more... Yeah. Um, yeah okay. It's got all the bits in it. It's like a Cooper's. You've got to roll it, hasn't it to get been all the stuff through it. So it hasn't been well, clarified. It's what champagne used to be, basically, yeah. you know, if you think about it. Yeah. Yeah, and look, you know, they can be a bit of fun, those wines. You know, mm. it's like getting in there and tasting Chardonnay, you know, when it's in the barrel and it's fermenting and it's down at four or five Beaumet and yeah. you've got all that gas in there and, you know, and you go and you've got the sugar and you've still got a, and you've got some acid. So, look, they can be interesting, but it's not something I personally are into. Not your thing, yeah. So I'd say, Alison, have a look at it, but also put in the fridge something that you know you like just in case you don't like it it's like anyone it depends well, on the pet man, I suppose. But yeah i mean it's part of the yeah. journey isn't it you either do come away liking it and then you seek more out so um so uh um winemaking wise tell us what uh what we can buy that that has your hand uh craft uh, attached well, to it so when paradise four ended i started my new label, Volterra Terra. Um, I had a lot of people saying that I should keep the name Paradise 4, but I, I just did, couldn't do that because it's associated with a single vineyard. Mm. And then I, oh, people were saying, have Paradise 5 or Paradise Next, and that all sounded a bit trade-offish, so I thought I'd have to start again. Um, and that way, I think it's more exciting for me because I've got to start myself, I've got to rebuild myself and rebuild a new brand again and that's always exciting. So Altera Terra just means another land and my focus is mainly for Altera Terra Shiraz. Um, so I'm making, I've got a contract with a beautiful vineyard in Canberra at Murrum Bateman with uh, Richard Parker 
So I'm making wine from the granite soils of Murrum Bateman. Then I've got another vineyard that we've now contracted, which is a 25-year-old organically grown vineyard with Shiraz out of Avoca, but way, way away from where most of the other vineyards are on a really interesting complex red duplex soil that's littered with quartz. So that's that will be released. I think, Richo, we saw that. We tasted that the other day. Yeah, we did. Yeah, Woods Paddock will be out either late this year or probably sometime in early next year. And then um, I have, we're making Chardonnay. Darren, Darren Gaffey and I, mate, we decided we'd do a joint venture. So we're doing Mornington Chardonnay because that's where I grew up as a kid. And I spent you know, the first 20 years or so of my life on the Mornington Peninsula. So it was always exciting to go back and do something with Darren and do it from the peninsula. And then I'm making Heskett's wines at Macedon, the Pinots and the Southern. Yeah, as I said, cult Victorian winemaker. <laughs> so, um, Simon, the other day I had a wine called Principia Kindred Hill Pinot Noir, right? right. Which is, um, you know, Darren Gaffey. And I, it had such perfume and, and spice, I couldn't but help think it was all these whole bunches and stuff. And I was talking to Doug the other day and he's like, zero whole bunches, it's the site. Can you tell us a bit about how the site makes a difference in terms of the spice level to a Pinot Noir? Yeah, look, it's it's interesting. I think the difference between that vineyard and, and like Darren's own vineyard is that it's cooler and it just ripens a lot slower and therefore you get more of that slightly herbaceous crushed leaf and into, um, I call ruby grapefruit, that sort of, you know, that spicy uh, ruby grapefruit peel character. And I think that's got to do simply with the ripening process and the heat summation in those vineyards, and they can change quite dramatically. I mean, you see that in Shiraz too, and I think that's the thing that is exciting for me about Shiraz is that you can go, I mean, I was just the other week at, at, over with Dan, Dan at um, Standish tasting his and uh, Dave Powell, amazing Barossa and Eden Valley wines with power and intensity that when you come over into Victoria and you get some of the cooler climate areas where Shiraz is growing all, all warmer but not hot, and you get more spice, you get more pepper, you mm. get more, you get more acidity. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it has a great, a great variation. Um, it's not just elevation; it's, it's the clone. It's also the, the heat summation, and the aspect as well. All, all things are important. They all play a role in mm. determining what happens. So with Pinot, I think there's one other factor that everyone forgets about, and, uh, and that's humidity. If you haven't got humidity with Pinot at the end of the growing season, then you're not going to get those nuances of perfume that are very high-toned and floral mm-hmm. and, and interesting because you'll have a tendency to go back into a darker, more brooding, more, um, you know, heading to the, the dry red spectrum. So there's a lot of regions that don't get that um, on a year-on-year basis. And I think one of the things that's exciting is that Mornington, up, particularly up on the hill, gets that a lot of the time, and Macedon gets that a lot of the time. That sort of dampness and humidity in, the, in late January and February and early March, which is important for aromatics. So, so does that create um, issues around um, disease and disease oh, yeah, pressure? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean... You know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you, you think about the Mirable Valley and where the best Pinots, I think, are grown in the Mirable Valley, and, and there's no question they're grown but by far and, 
in Bannockburn, and where they've got some of their vineyards, they're down in little pockets and closer to the river, and there's more humidity down there. And so, you know, they, they get that retention of aromatics. Mm. You come up into other parts and it's drier and warmer, and they, they tend to get a more slightly baked and dry red syndrome. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredibly important. And with your Murray Bateman fruit then, is that coming off those sort of granite soils down there as well? Yeah, it's all granite. Yeah, yeah. it's beautiful. And yeah, it's the same, the same granite that runs, uh, the same type of granite that runs from uh, Beechworth um, down around Anarchy, where you know, um, and then down the old way. So, yeah, and Dog Rocks, where Paradise Fall was, that's that was granite behind it. So that's a weird, you know, little vineyard of decomposed granite lying over uh, limestone lime. Yeah, right. So really good drainage as well. Because you've got, there was Franck and a few other bits and bobs down there too, wasn't there? Oh, yeah, there was Cabernet, there was a touch of Merlot, a little bit of Franck um, and Shiraz and, of course, the, the Chardonnay. So um, I just put everything in together to, to make Chaumont and then added more Shiraz because I didn't have enough, you know, Franck or Merlot to create that, you know. But the, in the, the, the so the new range of the Altera Terra wines. See, there's a, a Shiraz from 2021, the Fidelis, and then later on we will get the Woods Paddock. Just explain a little bit because they're sort of multi-region wines, and explain to the listeners a bit why you had to do that. Okay, well, um, I was basing you know the new my new model around first of all Canberra for Altera Terra, and then I realised that I needed to diversify because. You know, whether you're for or against the views of climate change, things are happening, and I needed to make sure that we could maintain a grape source. So I picked up Woods Paddock as well, which I was excited about. But with Canberra in 20, we got wiped out by, like a lot of Victoria and mm-hmm. parts of West uh, South Australia and much, much of New South with smoke taint. Yeah. And then 21 came, and we were on track to have a stunning vintage, perhaps even better than, you know, the 19 vintage. Right. And then it just rained. And it came late, and that that late, uh, almost subtropical um, storms that effectively, pretty much the grapes were not quite ready, but we had to get them off. So we only got about twenty ton off what would normally be sixty ton oh. Shiraz from that, that yeah. vineyard. So, so by the time you know Richard uh, and I looked at it, and we looked at the parcels we made, and I said, "Well, I'll take a little bit because he needed some." And, but it was not enough to make quarter because we didn't get any pinot. That got completely wiped out with botrytis. Yeah. Uh, and there was enough. There wasn't really enough to make sanctus. Um, there was one batch that was stunning, but it was just too small. So, you know, necessity being the, the mother of all invention, I decided that I had to look further afield. And because of my other business in the barrels, um, I've got lots of contacts, and particularly um, in the Barossa and McLaren Vale. So I headed over there and... Um, I worked with some mates and um, pulled some parcels of fruit that were fermenting out and looked at them and said, I'll take that and that and I'll just create blends this year, just do something different. Mm. So, um, yeah, the Shiraz is a blend of uh, Frank Fasali's vineyard, which is dark and black, but then matched with one parcel of the Canberra Shiraz. And then just to make it interesting, I threw in a barrel of 100% whole bunch of Pinot. Um, to make that real explosion of sort of lifted nose and, and medium-bodied and spicy and fine. Shiraz is still the dominant character, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of quite happy with that. And then um, for Dallas is the meaning faith, which is my, my wife named that. 
she told me when I was going crazy one day in the winery trying to work out what was going to fit. She just said, you've got to have faith in what you do and it'll work out. And sure enough, I calmed down and listened to her sage advice and <laughs> up came Fidelis, you know, once yeah. I stopped ranting. And it's, it's the... Um, it's the uh, it's sixty percent. It's a really good parcel of McLaren of uh, Murrum Bateman, and then I've used White Vineyard from Blewett Springs in that um, to, because it was just beautiful. That yeah. White Vineyard is magnificent. Um, and again, I've got I've got twenty two weight as well. I was so impressed I went back and got more yeah, nice. um, for this vintage as well. And then a little bit of the Woods Paddock in there just to give some minerality. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Fidelis is born, and um, I thank my wife for that, Angela. So, mm. um, um, where can we buy your wines? Um, well, I'm only just releasing them, so um, I know that both, um, I, I assume um, the Dan's will be taking them like they took the, the 19s, and um, uh, Batiga Tasca have them in Carlton, great supporters of me, and Nick Sheridan's been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Prince Wine Store, um, but being a one-man band, I'm only just getting it, getting them out there. I'd make them, I'd, I'd go out and sell them, and I'd go and deliver them. So it just takes <laughs> me time to get around in between so, that and the barrel business, yeah. So um, so you've got a website, I'm assuming? No, no, no? I haven't done that yet, much to the chagrin of my wife again. She's berating <laughs> me about that. She might I say just, you're home more if you have a website because you can just <laughs> ship it from you. From the seller, um, yeah. so but okay. So if people want to know, uh, want to go and have a look for the for the wines, just Rich, are you, you yeah. So look, how I do mean, we spell the? Um, it's Alt- Altera Terra, so that's um, A L T E R A, and then Terra T E R R A. So I've got a bit of the, I've got a, a very small smattering of the Corder and the Sanctus left over at Dance, and the, and so the wine merchant stores definitely took the last batch, so. Um, you know, we'll have, we'll have to talk to Shedzi about that one <laughs> if he's listening to this on the podcast at some point. Uh, yeah, no. Well, I, I'm set up. The new ones have just been listed on the system, so that ah, yeah, they they, so they'll be they'll be coming in. Yeah, mm. yeah. And oh, and Langtons Langtons support me. They've been fantastic as well. Yeah. So you can get it through Langtons. Yeah, you can cool, definitely okay. get the one through Langtons as well. Sounds fun. Uh, I, I love the one. Oh, and I just chucked a, some whole bunch of Pinot in there just for a bit of fun. <laughs> like that's. That's the stuff you want to go and have a look at. The art really. of blending. Indeed. Yeah, fantastic. Um, well, it, we, re- we originally had some in there, and I just I looked at it, and it was funny. It was, I thought, oh, it's... And then we were doing the blends for Heskett Pinot, and I'm going, oh, I can't, the whole bunch won't work. It just won't fit in either of the, the Gingella or the Heskett Estate. And that's when I had the light go on and go, oh, but it'll work in the Shiraz, because we did it the v- reverse the year before we did Pinot Shiraz. So... Um, yeah, it was just a case of them mm. work out the percentages, and it was miraculous that it was a whole barrel that went in. <laughs> That's hilarious. We we had um, Peter Gago in here um, a couple of months ago, and and he was talking about a wine that they made in California, and they brought over some Australian Shiraz to benchmark against, and they were missing this one element in that wine, and and then he said. I just thought, oh, why don't we have a look? So he went and grabbed some of that Australian Shiraz and he said, that was the perfect bit. That was that little yeah. missing <laughs> jigsaw piece. Yeah. So yeah, and that's exactly the same with this one. You know, as much as I like what I had, I thought I still need, I need to tone that McLaren Vale down a little more. I just need to push it and pull the palette longer, but I also need to get a little more floral lift. Mm-hmm. And, 
and, and it was perfect, you know. So, um, you know, it was, it was exciting to do that. And um, yeah. So we're forever experimenting. This year I've got uh, wine in Shiraz in Amphora. Um, we bring in these beautiful Spanish Amphoras. Uh, Rick and I um, started importing them about three years ago. So we're doing some Shiraz in Amphora. We've got it in about six different types of forest blends um, to work out for which paddock, which is going to be the best going forward oak for that. We've got stuff in tank. Um, so, yeah, we're playing around a bit. Yeah, I think it's a it's a brand that sounds like it's, there's a lot of fun. and a, The wines know, are very you good. You need to keep coming back to, really to see what, what, yeah. that, what madness has happened this year. <laughs> um, well, I think that... That's how I'm approaching it. It's, yeah, it's great. much like um, it's like the chefs. You go to the chefs and you go, well, they just they, what was good they in the market today. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. And yeah. and so what's going to work this year mightn't work next year. And that's always going to be that fun that that particularly the lower price point of one, the entry point. I need to make something that is affordable for just about for everyone, mm. but it has interest and complexity. Love it, um, and, and and it might change from here to here, but that's all right because it's it's really about making something of great value, um, mm. and yet still being enjoyable to make. That's unreal, Doug. Thank you, mate. Look forward to chatting uh, in in the future, and um, definitely we'll we'll come and um, grab some of your wines. I think. Cheers. Enjoy your afternoon. Thanks, guys. Cheers, Thanks. Doug. Cheers. See you. Bye. Bye mate.